Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. I mean, we're talking unity here. Did that make sense? And love came to town. I mean, I know this is a guy's perspective, but I love this song because these guys are admitting how sinful they were, and all of a sudden, in walks Jesus, and their life totally changed. And watching B.B. King play the guitar is just... You know, and, and to point out the fact that culturally, they're quite different. The boys from Ireland who, who are doing pop, and B.B. King from the Mississippi Delta Blues... B.B. Uh, King is somebody that has always captured my heart. He came from nothing. Uh, mom left. Dad left. Raised by his grandma. Learned how to sing gospel. Um, and was introduced to the, the uh, guitar by a pastor. And he was just like, he said, the minute this guy showed me the electric guitar, I knew what God wanted me to do. And he, he was so humble. All those licks that he's, he's so well known for, um, in an interview, he said, well, I don't know if I'm that, you know, I'm not the best, maybe. I'm, I know I'm not the worst, but he said what gives me the edge is just all coming from him out of me. I mean, I was just like, I never, I took my sabbatical, enforced sabbatical recently. It was quite, quite interesting. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit. I, um, I, I imagined a little bit different presentation for this, so I didn't make any slides. It's not that I'm lazy. I just didn't do it. So, <clears throat> so we love love comes to town. We're going to start off. I, I, I love it when people join in. You know, that's my favorite part. I think that's my vodka. What are you doing? I, you know, I wasn't going to, but my legs are feeling so good. I thought I'd just, you know, see what God does here. You know, you all pick me up if I just fall flat on my face. Well, I imagine you would anyway. So um, I, I had a, a lot of scripture when I was in the hospital. And Galatians 3.28... Um, is important for the rest of this. There's there's like three real themes that I'm I'm working on, or God was working on with me. So there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. I mean, I've heard that verse before, but it was really sinking in because, you know, I was watching on TV what's going on in the world. And uh, I just felt that we need to, um, we need love to come to town. We need it in a big way right now. We need people to kind of wake up and know there is love. That, that is so missing in so many right now. It's, it's horrible. So I, I thought I'd just give you, a, for clarity, my little hospital story. I mean, my Jehoshaphat moment, shall we say. 
because I went in on July 3rd, and I was coughing up blood, and I did have pain in my lungs. But I was thinking, maybe it's really bad bronchitis or maybe pneumonia, and, you know, I'll go and they'll give me some antibiotic, maybe keep me for observation, and I'll be out, you know, by Sunday. <laughs> so they did um, a chest X-ray, and they said, well, we saw something in your chest X-ray that doesn't look good, so we're going to do a CAT scan because we want to verify some things. And I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, they were doing all these tests the whole time. <coughs> so the doctor comes back and he goes, well, um, you have a spot on your lung and with um, gu our guidelines uh, for infectious disease, it could be tuberculosis, so you're going to be with us for a while. I'm like, you know that, <laughs> I mean, it was just like, and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really in, in bad shape. I mean, really crying yet, <laughs> but, and I said, we have to get, we have to get a room ready for you. And, and so, you know, there was the waiting around for that. And thank you so much. Like I said, I always love it when people join. Especially, especially Steph. And <laughs> we're so funny. Anyway, so they finally get me to a room, and I, I get the story on the room, right? It's on the third floor of McLaren, and it's the corner. And I'm talking to, well, I, I had just the orderlies taking me in. Well, we're sorry it took so long, but this is generally a storage room. So we had to take all the equipment and stuff out of it. And, uh, but actually, um, we use this for patients like you. I mean, what do you mean? Really contagious ones? <laughs> or we think they're contagious? And she goes, she goes, uh, she, she's pointing out, well, it's not terrible. Oh, this is reverse pressure. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she said, well, the germs that you're spewing all over the place remain in here. Like when we open the door, they don't go into another area. I'm like, oh, well, that's good to know. And I think there's something about that refers to pressure because it made me feel just like crap. My, it made my skin crawl after I was in there for about 10 days. My skin just dried off and peeled off pretty much. So that was kind of a side effect. <coughs> but there is also an antechamber where they come in, everybody gloved up in fresh stuff. Uh, some put on visors, some put on goggles. I had... Um, some of the aides would come and stick their head in and say, okay, I'm going to come in, but you have to put your mask on too. So I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. So I had the bed, the bathroom, and as the nurses all pointed out, the biggest window on the floor. I was blessed. <laughs> I'm going, oh, wow, that's so cool. But, um, you know, as, as time went on in the hospital with this thing which turned out to be a cavitated lesion, which through staph or strep or something, I got this thing that was actually filled with pus, blood, and all kinds of other stuff. In fact, they finally stuck this thing inside me for a procedure and drained part of it, which, which helped a great deal. But as I had mentioned to Steph when I went in, I wasn't terribly, I, I, I told her, I think God's, Whatever's going on, I think he's going to clear up some stuff that's, that I've been dealing with. And I, I hadn't felt good. So this stuff was poisoning me maybe for a couple months. 
because I get done with my job and all I wanted to do was go to bed. And this is like 5.30 in the afternoon, right? So I wasn't getting anything done. I, I, I didn't feel good most of the time and, and uh, glad to have that portion over. But all these doctors started getting involved. And uh, in a couple of days, like uh, a doctor came in and said, well, we've done all this research and we see a file from 2011. Well, from 2011, I'd had almost identical same thing. And they're going, what happened then? And I told them, you know, they were looking at some sort of um, um, fungus, which my body apparently doesn't tolerate due to autoimmune or something. So I'm telling them what's going on. And the doctor, I swear, swear the pulmonary guy comes back the next day. Yeah, yep, we found some of that. So you're dealing with a lesion. You got this fungus thing going on, so you need different medication for that. And I'm like, oh, okay. What else? I'm going, thanks, God. You know, what's this about? Um, this isn't looking good. Then three days later, I have four blood clots in my legs. And they start swelling up. And I still haven't gotten rid of that. And, and you know, I, I call them my angels because I had these nurses. And they were my total contact with the outside world. <laughs> so I was very blessed to have them. And... Um, and they were very kind, most of them very attractive, by the way. Didn't hurt. <laughs> and, uh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so there, there was uh, that blessing that uh, both good looking and, and they, they liked to, and they were nice to me because, you know, you know, you know, older guys, you know, when we don't groom, I have these long eyebrow hairs that started growing out. And I hadn't cut my hair, so it was just wild and my beard just kept growing and growing and finally this nurse comes in and she goes I, I mean are you okay and I said you know I, I didn't bring any grooming stuff or anything and and um and and she goes I'll be right back she came back with a surgical shaver <laughs> and she goes here knock yourself out <laughs> I was in the bathroom for an hour and a half <laughs> I mean I didn't have anything else to do anyway right <laughs> so <laughs> I came out and you know, it wasn't great because, you know, there was no guides or anything. I just had to guess. But I felt like so much better. So much better. And and the nurses know this, too. It was like they didn't really say it, but they were kind of like, glad he got in there and cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> it's not as scary now. <clears throat> so, you know, the blood clot thing, and, and I was just sitting up in the bed. I didn't feel like laying down all the time. And I'm just sitting there, and it's really quiet, and it's night. And I'm like going, God, what is this? I mean, I've been doing everything really cool. I've been doing go to throne room. I've been working hard to pay off back debt from other medical bills. I've been, I've been doing all this stuff. I mean, I don't get it. So, you know, it's kind of a Jehoshaphat moment. Uh, I, seriously, um, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and... And the Miserites all came in at once. <laughs> and I did, uh, I did not see it coming. So, but what do you do? There's no way we can avoid it. I mean, it's just happening. Um, and I thought it was ironic because I'm the one that did the message here about this is not your battle. This is God's battle. What do you do when everything in your life falls apart and you didn't know it was coming? You have no plan. Just all of a sudden, the car breaks down, you lose your job, the roof falls in, 
you know, maybe some, some emotional thing in your relationship or something, and it happens all at once, and we're like, as Christians, or anybody else, we're going, what? You have got to be kidding me. So that's what I was doing, sitting on the back, going, all right, God, you know, I was really whining because, you know, I felt like crap, and, and I'm just thinking, because on July 4th, I'd actually planned to just load up the car and take off. I was going to go up beaches, um, like I, I told you I wanted to do, and catch some sun and just, you know, run into people, just say hi and see what they're doing, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's something I like to do. I uh, do like to engage with people. You can put me into a room that I don't know anybody, and I'll have conversation, you know, now, stat, <clears throat> with at least one or two people. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm, I'm really having jo total jealousy of that moment. And, you know, uh, the scripture says, he, he just prayed out, God, I didn't know this was coming. I do not know what to do. I have no idea what to do. <laughs> I kid you not. You know, God talks to each of us, I believe, very individually. I mean, because he knows, you know, the things we're gifted with. He knows the things that, that we enjoy that he's made us to do. So he's kind of, <laughs> I mean, this is such a funny moment because I never expected it. I, I, I said, I don't know what to do. What should I do? How should I pray? And I hear this, I think you should sing. I'm like, uh, if you hadn't noticed, Lord, I just, <laughs> I, I just coughed up a hack, half a box of Kleenex of blood, pus, and other stuff. I can barely breathe, and I'm hearing this. It's okay. It's all right. I didn't say this was going to be easy. I just said, just sing really light, and I'll help you. Just kind of, you know, just, just go, okay, just hum even. And I'm like, I, you know, I really don't feel like, oh, no, come on, you feel better. I'm like, okay. So I start this little tune, and then I'm going, what should I sing? And God said, I don't care. Sing your heart. Sing, sing your heart. Just, just, sing, just sing whatever's going on. Just, you know, sing it real light, and, um, and I'll help you. So I'm coughing in between, going, this is ridiculous. And I hear this, what are you worried about? No one can hear you. <laughs> You're in isolation. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking, wow, this is, it was really kind of weird. I mean, I started pinching myself, going, all right, you, you finally lost it, lad. <laughs> they're not only going to treat you for all this infection, but they're going to put you in one of those jackets. <laughs> so, you know, but really, I did feel better after I sang for a while. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, sort of, but, but what I was singing... That, that's the really weird part. That's where they would have put the jacket on. Because I was like, oh, Father, I don't know why I'm going through this. Why are you making this happen to me? I had great plans for this weekend. You know, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And I'm thinking, you know, I, and I hear the door. You know, I'm kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> they, they couldn't hear me until they got in. <laughs> so, 
you know, Jehoshaphat moment. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> now that's going to be stuck in your mind forever, right? Uh-oh, you're having a Jehoshaphat moment. <laughs> All three of them. So anyway, that's the time. I, and I mean, you know, still when I was done, I was still like, what's going on? I mean, this was ridiculous. Oh, and while I was singing, I had, I, I got to be honest, I was like, I repent for this. <laughs> you know, I'm repenting for all this stuff. And I'm going, you know, I feel like I had stuff I wanted to finish up, God. But if this is it, I, I'm ready. It's okay. Now, don't, I know it sounds really serious when you say it that way. But still, I was kind of like, I didn't really believe it was the end. <laughs> and, and he was like, he was like... Look, I got you. You still got some time. And by the way, there are things I'd like you to finish. <laughs> it's not that you're a lollygagger, Brent, but sometimes you, you can't delay. So <clears throat> I thought it was interesting we got that worked out pretty much up front. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, I was very despondent just sitting on the bed going, I mean, talk about wanting to cry. <clears throat> I didn't. It was manly. <laughs> I am now, so anyway, um, it, it wasn't fun. And by the way, and by the way, to prove that I didn't have TB, they did all these blood cultures, and they kept coming in every day. That one didn't work. We need more blood. We're not, we're not seeing what's actually wrong with you. So, um, and that went on for 10 days. But it was exciting when they finally cleared me from TB. Um, two nurses came to the door, whipped the door open, and they said, um, now that you're all shaven and everything, why don't you grab your mask and let's go for a walk? <laughs> Freedom. Thank the Lord. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I still can't believe, and I'm moving on, but I still can't believe that I heard, I think you should sing. I mean, I was coughing up. You wouldn't believe. I don't want to gross you out too bad, but it was not good. So, seriously, you want me to sing? I can barely breathe. I can barely draw a breath. So, these are thoughts. I said this would be a conversation, and I, I watched too much news. I mean, just because... Thank you. I don't know why my nose is dripping. I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not contagious. You know that, right? So, all right. What's that? <laughs> all good. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, there <clears throat> this does kind of run and ideas and thoughts. You know, it sounds really loud when I do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to discuss something very important. Because when I was in there, I was thinking relationally how the world just doesn't like each other very much lately. I mean, people that even know each other are triggered or they're having intersectionality problems or this whole new vocabulary I was learning from the news. And... Um, so this is my personal stories and events of what I call TMP, 
which is how to engage with people, especially ones that you have trouble with. TMP stands for teach me please. That means that you engage them right where they're at. You walk up and I say in evangelism always, one of the most important words is hello. Because otherwise you're not gonna have a conversation. But uh, just walking up and engaging someone uh, in that way, I've seen them right here in conferences and stuff where I walk up to somebody and five minutes later they've told me a testimony or what they need to be prayed for or something like that. And, um, you know, reading about Jesus, who's very masterful of people, um, his approach to at least nine times, he just pretty much walked up and said hi and started talking to them about whatever, you know, because he knew what they were going through. He'd, he'd share something. So, um, John 4, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. I, I've always loved that one because he does pretty much literally come up and say, hi, uh, you want to get me a drink? <laughs> and conversation started. Um, so he's already initiated this thing, and then he tells her who she is, and then she starts sharing, and it just develops. I think this is one of the most non-confrontational ways you can be an evangelist and meet people very easily, as opposed to what I've been taught in the past of, like, I've got my Shekinah pamphlet, and you walk up, introduce yourself, shove it in their face, can I pray for you? I, that works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for me. I would rather let them draw me in than me come up and say, you know, this is everything I'm I'll pray for you. Because people are like going, I don't even know if I want to come. I don't know anything about you. <laughs> so by learning about them with a teach me please, uh, you get a chance to know how to pray for them often. <laughs> now, <clears throat> just a little history, very quick. I was in my youth in my neighborhood known as a wasp white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. They used that a lot back in the day. There was not another person of color within at least a mile of where I lived. So I didn't get too much culture. Now, I owe this to my mother. I got to give her credits because she was part of Church Women United here in Lansing. She was the president, and she served at, at different things. But because these women were united, she was hanging out with all kinds of people, and I love the way she did this. She'd come home, be, because she's legally blind, she had to have somebody pick her up. So she'd meet all these people, and she'd, you think I talk. You should have heard my mom. <laughs> but she engaged everybody, regardless. I mean, she was just that kind of person that was always out there. So then she'd come home from one of the meetings, and, oh, by the way, uh, boys, Claire, uh, tomorrow night we're having this family over from, you, you know, she's just like, and you're doing this. And you, you, there was no preamble, you know, it's not next week, Tuesday, not tomorrow. So, you know, we'd, we'd sit with people, rabbis, she brought, because they engaged with a lot of men in the church as well, and they had speakers, and she'd bring the speakers home for dinner. And my dad was always like, okay. Because <laughs> he was tired, you know, he came home from work, and he's like, and she's like, Jim, you have to cut the meat. He's like, okay, what, what are you doing tonight, Marge? <laughs> Who's this? Who'd you drag off the street? Because <laughs> pretty much that's how it was. But anyway, I owe her a great deal because she 
taught me to engage with anybody, really. Um, and I never minded it, even from being very young. I was kind of excited to meet all these people of different colors and backgrounds. And I, I thought it was always fascinating. I, I was never afraid of anybody. So this sort of teach me please thing, uh, just a couple of examples. Um, most of my engagements, especially when I was younger, was because I th saw an attractive woman, uh, an attractive girl. And this is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. So um, for, for instance, but, but a lot of these things really helped me grow. <laughs> All right, I know what you're thinking, but, but that's not what we should be thinking. Anyway, um, so I met this really beautiful Latino girl and um, in high school, and I was just smit. I was just completely smitten. So I did everything to be around her, and I was, <laughs> and of course, Latino, right? I was the only Anglo ever to be in the Latino club. <laughs> and not only that, not only that, but she taught me how to make tacos, like cook them, you know, freestyle in a grease pan and the whole bit. And so she and I, like cook tacos for a fundraiser like all day. I mean, I came home with burns all over me because you know, the oil's popping and we're running into each other. And, um, but you know, it was, it was very satisfactory. And my point is oftentimes we're, we're talking about problems with culture <coughs> and <coughs> you know, my culture is better than your culture or whatever it is going on right now. Um, but I've always found the teach me please method, if you engage and let other people show you their culture, it makes a huge difference. Um, it, it makes just such a tremendous difference, and it's such a great way to um, get them to open up. And then, because now I'm involved with this girl, I'm learning Spanish, I'm taking Spanish in college, um, I, and I'm going down to Mexico. I was down in Mexico all the time, uh, from Juarez to Chihuahua. I'd go take short trips to the West Coast and then go to Mexico City. I spent a lot of time in Mexico City and I got to know people like it, an art teacher and all these people who just hung out all the time. But when I went down there, my Spanish wasn't that great. So I had a bilingual dictionary. <laughs> there is nothing more engaging to get to know somebody and really become a part as when you're trying to speak a second language, because nobody would talk to me in English once they found out I was learning it and I had the dictionary. So I'd say something totally wrong, you know, or I'd use the wrong verb and everybody crack up. And, you know, I, I never felt embarrassed. I mean, because they were just trying to help me. Then they look up the right phrase and teach me how to do it. But I was even told, Dr. Hendrickson, who's used to uh, teach Spanish, probably deceased by now, but, but great guy. And I came back, because he used to go to Mexico all the time. And he said, you're doing something that is just so wonderful culturally, because you realize you honor people when you choose to learn their language. And now you're engaging them in a way you never could if you did it in English, because you're speaking their language. And I noticed that a great deal. In fact, uh, God did wonderful things by my efforts. Um, at this time, we were waiting for another election. 
and I was approached by the father of the household, uh, Mr. Hawkins. <laughs> he wanted me to speak with him and the elders of this neighborhood about whether the upcoming president, yes, I'm old, it was Ronald Reagan's second term, and they wanted me to speak with them about whether he was a warmonger, whether nuclear war was imminent. I mean, they wanted all these deep subjects, and I was having to have them help me with a dictionary because politics was not quite in my vocabulary yet, but it worked out really well. Uh, I think they were pleased we talked to like three o'clock in the morning on this guy's deck because they just had question after question. And if I, if I didn't understand it, they'd show me, you know, read this. <laughs> so um, really a wonderful thing. And, you know, brokenly, I did my, in, my, I did my prayer with them and, and we all prayed together. So it was like four elders and me, and we're guys, guys, right? And we're sitting here at 3 a.m. holding hands and, and praying. It was in Spanish. I let them do most of it because, you know, I wasn't that good. <laughs> but still, it was really a cool moment. And the next morning, I kid you not, there was a gift on my pillow for spending my time with them. They gave me a 1968 Olympic coin. And it was so cool. Unfortunately, it was stolen. But uh, I'll never forget the moment. I was just like, wow, this is so cool. So I'm not t just talking about the rewards, but it's not that hard to engage people where they live. It's not that hard to be an evangelist once somebody tells you their story a little bit. Because you know where they're hurting. You know where they're hurting. And this is so important for everything else I'm going to say. Uh, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, the other theme here, uh, a little bit, is freedom. Uh, stand firm, then do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We seem to hear about that a lot. And there's no condemnation in my heart. I understand people are terribly wounded. Um, th there's things they just can't let go of. And we've all known people that have things. They walk around. And, you know, even in the church, and they say, I, I know I'm free of that. But the next day, <laughs> they're right back. I just can't let go. So uh, we're, we've all been there, perhaps in, in, in some, even a small way. <laughs> Slavery is pretty big. I, I get it. But, um, you know, the challenge is out there for these terribly wounded people. How do you engage them? And I'm saying teach me please would work and I also believe um, did did Lyra leave oh I had a story just for her well that's all right I'll skip it and we'll go brief <clears throat> but in in short I I also engaged uh, about the same time in a band called affirmation with a black woman who we were brought together by an agent we didn't know each other we met <laughs> She was, um, she could hold her own with just about anybody, um, meaning that uh, she was pretty tough, really. I mean, we, we sang well together and everything, but um, I guess the point of the story is driving back and forth. We used to go to Indy all the time, and um, we started as a three-piece. The keyboard player fell out, so it's just 
she and I, and she would tell me her heart about how white people had appropriated black music through the years, and she didn't think it was fair, and, and they, so I, I was listening to all this stuff thinking, you know, I've never really talked to anybody about this before, so, um, and, and she could, I mean, we're driving an hour and a half here, two and a half hours there, gig to gig, we played a resort on a man-made lake in Lake Monroe. But I also stayed at her folks' house because we were down there so much. And that was interesting culturally as well. Um, just, I'm trying to give you experiences of maybe how you can almost change people's hearts just, just by listening to what they have to say. Um, you can make a whole new case if you don't just say, well, that's not the way it is. I don't believe you, you're full of it, too bad. Um, you can engage people differently. and. We got so close. I mean, and she was attractive. I, I'm not going to lie, but um, she was also engaged, and I was also married. But, you know, I'm a guy. <laughs> I just, you know, thoughts ran through my head. But um, we got so close, we, 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 we wouldn't want to sometimes drive back to her parents' house from the hotel. So they give us a room, and we'd sleep in the same room. I mean, she had one bed, I had another um, funny moments, getting dressed in the morning, I was just hilarious. But we got to be like brother and sister, basically. And um, I guess as far as, the point of this, as far as racial problems, we were in a gas station and these white guys were just N-word nerd and you know all this stuff. So I interceded and we, we left together and she was like, wow, you're so cool, thank you. You know, I, <laughs> she said something like, I didn't want to kick there. And she probably could have. I mean, this one was tough. She really didn't need me, but she appreciated the fact that I was sticking up for her. And then on a reciprocal thing, her dad, great barbecue, very old man. Sometimes I, I don't think he knew I was talking to him, but just a sweetheart of a guy. He loved a barbecue, and he would do enough for, like, the whole week. So she and I could come in at 4 a.m. and grab the barbecue if we were hungry. But he had this block party, and... There was a group of young men who came up to Tolo almost off to the side and said, what's he doing here? We don't need a cracker at this party. Who invited him? Uh, we'll kick him out. <laughs> you should have heard Tolo go off. She was like, this is my dad's party. This is my house with my parents. He is my friend. And if you don't like it, I can escort you out now. Now, if we had engaged each other and got to know each other, I mean, our whole dynamic changed, right? I didn't really know that much about her. She didn't know that much about me. And I'm saying as we move into these terrible conversations that are coming up, and they have to be had, they're going to have to be had if any of this is going to change. And because, uh, and I feel so strongly about what's going on right now, watching this on TV, because as a designated shepherd here, I don't want the flock to get run over in a situation they never saw coming. Not that it'd be Jehoshaphat. I'm just saying there's so many intricacies in the new language, and people understand it on one side their way, on the other side their way, and the language that's written in it, it's, it's hard to understand. You almost need a class, especially with um, CRT, which is so huge in the country right now. The church is just gasping for air. Critical race theory, huge. 
Uh, now, I know it's been around since I was in high school. I, was a, I know I was a guinea pig for CRT in 1974 as a student council president. I was sent to a leadership camp, and we had these seminars every morning, and for five hours, we listened to someone of color, um, you know, black, Latino, or whatever, tell us the racial problems at our schools were caused because we didn't know how to engage with people of color. So I would say probably I was starting in for what's come. If you read, which I did read, uh, the critical, critical race theory uh, statements and their premises and so on, I mean, the language, anybody could get confused. And a good-hearted Christian who wants, doesn't want to be called racist, we don't want to be called racist, and we just want to help people, we don't want to make waves, they're starting to really start to placate, cave in, and um, lose their way, really, on who Jesus is, because they're so willing to try and put scripture into critical race theory, which doesn't work. It's a story about oppressors and oppressed. It's new neo-Marxism. I mean, the tenets of it are pretty hard to swallow, but I only mention this because we're not gonna be through with it for a while. And it's happening, it's huge in the church. I mean, people with huge platforms are bowing down and saying, well, we can make this work. I think this sort of looks like scripture. I think, but really, I, I know this for certain in my talks with God and, and reading about other people, that there can't be a middle ground here. It's either you're Marxist, <laughs> you're um, neo-revisionist is what it's called. Uh, that means that there is no truth. There's no concrete truth. There is no truth in God. And, and these are pastors saying we don't really have a relevant truth except for what Laura's truth is today. Or Stephanie's truth is different. So we know that she looks at Jesus differently than the scripture. It's okay? No, it's not. And I started looking for people that I respected to see what they had to say. And I found a blessing. His name is John Cooper. He is the lead singer and bass player for Skillet, who I've always admired. Who else would I look for, right? <laughs> but, you know, I listened to this guy, and I'm thinking, you know, in 96, by the way, is when he started taking off, and that's when my band started taking off. Now, mine went eventually after some years, but obviously he's been doing it for 22 years. I just thought it was cool that in 96 we were both kind of on, on the cusp. Um, I personally just thought it was cool. <laughs> but anyway, so he is so strong. This is a bass player. Yeah, he's got platinum albums, and he's got two Grammys. But I'm just saying, he's a, he's a, a musician, right? And he's so involved that uh, in, in this um, relativity of we don't really have a truth and, uh, you know, critical race theory and, and all these things that he says, and I quote, and he said it so powerful, we need to grab a hold of the truth that Jesus is the way and the truth that never changes. Postmodernism thought 
is any culture you want for today is okay. And pastors are preaching this. And, 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 and he said, it, it, I, I can't put up with it. I've been to, he, was, he was approached by an agent, which all of us are eventually if you're in music, and they try and get you to drop things or pick things up to make you more successful. He was approached by an agent, not this year, but 20 years ago, who said, if you drop the Jesus, you're going to be a lot more powerful. I mean, you're going to make a lot more money. People are going to notice you more. And you can still, and this is how the devil gets to our pre- preachers. This is how he gets to us. But if you just drop the Jesus thing, you could do all that Jesus stuff you want to do, and they never even know it. You can spend more money because you're going to make more money. And I loved his answer. I said, no. I got in this for Jesus Christ, and that's where I'm staying. And he's become very successful for 22 years. And, oh, it's still there. I thought I lost it. So what's true for you may not be true for me. And that's happening in the church. And we are placating large platforms, uh, just dropping to their knees, trying to figure out how to make it work because they they don't want to lose anybody. They don't want to be racist. So they're kind of in this catch-22. But as he said, look to the word. How could you betray the word? How could you drop to one knee? This is what I've heard. He said, I even have friends that have been saying this their entire life. And now they're willing to waffle? I mean, I I love the way he put it because the way he talks, he's got a little southern accent, but it's just so pure and it's so righteous, and you know the sincerity. He means exactly what he says, and that's so rare to hear out of anyone, Christian or secular, in today's world. Everyone's waffling. Just turn on the news. It's different every day. So Jesus' word will stand forever. We need to engage one another here on my point to stand firm in our belief, but engage others with love and try to reach them where they're at. We're going to win a lot more people back if we take it once, even though it's frustrating, even if you want to whack them upside the head, which some of the, you go through woke speech, (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure. I'm a pretty patient guy, but if somebody talked to me in that sort of vernacular, I, I don't know. Good test. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I got it. I got it. I'm good. Now, I, I really don't have that much left, but there, there's some things that really got me riled up. And like you were saying, God reminds you of things. So, I... I'm, uh, I'm not a person of color, but I'm a very colorful person. I have been my entire life. And um, in the late 70s, I had a uh, psychology teacher named Alfredo Lilio Casola. Casola is Cuban. Um, and he came to this country as an immigrant because he was fleeting socialism, which we hear a lot about in the news right now. And that man... With his accent, he uh, never called me Brent. He always said, Chapman, Chapman, I'm having sort of a meeting after class tonight. I would love for you to attend because we're talking about freedom, my friend. And he would. He'd have students stay. And I learned more about liberty, freedom, the price of freedom, um, that it's not always we take it for granted. 
he would talk a lot about, man, I don't, Chapman, you guys are so apathetic. You know, in my country, we see people dragged away if we're saying something against the party, and we don't see them ever again, and the government won't even tell us what happened. So that's why we come to your country, because we want to be American. And, you know, I talk to you guys. I mean, you say it can happen here. So I got thinking about Casola a lot as we watch socialism and socialist programs and our party right now that really is becoming more and more with, with shame culture and forcing people out of their jobs if they disagree. Um, this kind of looks like communism and socialism, and it's right here. And keep in mind, Cuba's only 90 miles from us, and we're watching this on the news. So I was watching this on the news, and um, the head of the free world, who's in office right now, refused to even make a statement about Cuba for five days with all these Cuban representatives and all these people like uh, Maria Salazar, uh, Marco Rubios. They're all begging him to say something. You know, let's, we're f about freedom. We need to stand by these people, not just because they're Cuban, but because they're having trouble with a communist regime and they're crying out to America to make a stand, help them make a stand, nothing. And then it was so wishy-washy, I got so mad in my hospital bed, I took my Kleenex bottle and I just heaved it. Yes, I had to get out of bed and get it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was so angry. Um, Casola, I mean, it's part of my heart because Casola did um, sponsor me and I was a member of Cuban American Association here in, in Lansing and I would go and hear the testimonies I would go sit with people. They'd have a candlelight vigil before a party because it was always a huge dance and all this great food. But people would sit there and just weep. Grandpa never, didn't make it. We never heard what happened to him. All these people died. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking freedom, 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 freedom that we take for granted. Not now, but I think we're going through a time when we're really going to be challenged. We're really going to be challenged by people who are trying to almost trick us into giving up our liberties. And that's sort of how socialism, communism works. Fidel Castro, Che Guevara promised their people this new era. They lied to them. They kept all the wealth and the people, as they say in Cuba, we had nothing. And they still have nothing. Now, the second thing that incensed me and I'll move on. But this, this is how strange it's gotten with the lies, the twisted truths. Um, I watched a girl named Maria Alvarez talking about Che Guevara. Does everybody know who Che is or was? <coughs> well, there's a billion T-shirts, posters, and flags across the world with his picture on it right now. There, and it's for LGBTQ, and it's for uh, BLM. And she's going, these people don't know what they're talking about. Uh, che Guevara, why would you want him on a t-shirt? He was a murderous thug. He raped our country. He personally killed thousands of people or ordered their deaths. He was homophobic. He built camps just for homosexuals. 
and they had to work for the government, and he had signs around the camps that said, this work will finally make you men. So they had to look at the signs all day. He said about blacks, BLMs, got them all over their, their T-shirts. He said, he was asked in an interview, so what are Afro, uh, or uh, excuse me, Cuban Africans going to contribute here, and what are you going to do for them and the new regime after he and Fidel took over? He said, well, uh, we're going to do for the blacks in this country exactly what they did for the revolution, nothing. This is an American in interview. How does, how twisted can it possibly be? And, and I know there's other things going on all the time we just don't know about. But he's a murderous thug, a liar. He murdered people. And, and now he's poster boy for BLM. I mean, I, that really, really made me angry because I heard a lot about Shea when I was uh, with Dr. Kozola. Wow. We need, as we move in, to get a little intel, I think, sometimes, too. Because half of these people, uh, half of this billion people, don't know who Shea was. They've been told he was this romantic Spanish Robin Hood who liberated his people and gave him all this great stuff. They have no idea who he is. In fact, they probably don't even know that much. Somebody just told them to put on a T-shirt. Uh, it's kind of pathetic. I mean, Cubans are incensed, of course, everywhere, every time they see it. So we need some discernment. When we're, when we're having conf we need to know what we're walking into. We need to understand critical race theory at least a little bit, at least enough to speak intelligently, because people that talk about it, one side only has sort of a half-ass knowledge, I can't believe. And the other side's going, well, I don't want to move into this because then I'll be racist or something else. So even if there's a discussion, they're clamming up and nothing's getting resolved except huge organizations in Christianity are, are ruining organizations that have been built 20 years because they're forcing people in all these different directions. They're trying to find the third way, which there's no way we can have a third way. There's no compromise. And Encouraging, though, from John, who I'll quote one last time, he said, what encourages me is even though the people are hurt, they're falling apart, they don't know who to follow anymore because they've been following some of these preachers for 20 years or whatever, and, and they're letting them down. He said, layman people in the church are now standing up, and they're saying, enough. I'm going to pick who I'm going to follow from now. I don't want somebody on their knee before the governor because it's COVID, I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with this ideology. It doesn't work, it's not of God. And he said, it's so encouraging. He said, because I do shows, and people walk up, because he's got a book out about it. And he said, I read your book. I'm standing with you, I'm nobody. I'm not a worship leader, I'm not a pastor, but I'm not gonna follow that, I'm following Jesus. I mean, quite incredible. There is no middle of the road. We got to move on. And we all have to realize, like Kosola said, that sometimes these things are very difficult, and there is a price to be free and stand your ground. So we're pretty tough here at Chiquina. We've been led by Steph, and she made it, we made it through the whole COVID process without shutting down.
So I hope that was informative. I didn't want to do a political rant. I, I hope that didn't sound political because it's not at all. It's just we are at war in spirit. The spiritual warfare is so heightened right now. And in my hospital bed, I'm like going, wow, I just never would have believed it, that I was, I was feeling it. God was saying, are you feeling it? You, you got to say something, you know. Because I knew in the late 70s that we had to be vigilant, that this might happen. And I've never said anything for years. So now I'm saying things. And the reason why we have to say things, too, is for young people. They are so confused. And who wouldn't be? They get up, read social media. Uh, you're going to have to wear a mask even if you had the shot. And your business is closed again. And they're like, what? And the next day it says, well, you might not have to wear a mask if. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and knowing that our culture tells us there really is no truth, we just kind of make truth up as they go, that's got to be really difficult to be a young person. So where do you hold on to? What do you hold on to? Maybe your parents a little bit. Hopefully Jesus. So we really need to ramp that up for the kids. And, and I, I, I'm serious. They have to be lost. I would like to sit down in a group someday and just ask questions. How do you feel about this? How do you feel? I, I would be very interested to hear the answers. Now, almost finishing up, I told you about singing uh, at the, uh, you know, at the beginning, Jesus asked me to sing. And, um, but he, I didn't tell you this part. He said, I'm going to teach you a lot about singing that you never knew. And I'm like, come on, I've been singing since I was a kid. <laughs> what? I, I know you're God, but seriously, <laughs> what, what don't I know? Anyway, um, he had me go to these sites, and we were talking about quantum. I know it sounds new agey. But I'm defended by Dota Ketterlin Leaf in the quantum physics that God provided for us for healing. And um, I was looking up these things about vibrating and the individuality of all of us. So when we hum or sing a note, we are, what, the, what this amounts to is because. We're vibrating, we're making a disturbance in front of us that we often talk about. We're changing the atmosphere that we're in instant communication because we all have our own individual. For instance, if Stephanie and I decided to do the same song and we were going to record it, we sang in the same key, we uh, sang the same octave, we worked out to breathe at the same time when we were doing the recording, uh, we did all this stuff, our wave file would still come out unique. There's no way around it. And you can see it like graft. What I'm saying is God has given us this way to engage him immediately. He's there with us in worship. I mean, that just was like, yeah, okay, I sing, but I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> because, you know, in throne room, I think we're, we're practicing. And, and we've decided now a lot of times we don't need cheap music. We don't need anything else. We just start singing. And we know we're with our creator almost instantly. I, I never thought that was possible. But to me, that is so profound. So you can just drive down the road with your Jehoshaphat moment. <laughs> and, and, you know, Jehoshaphat sent the singers first into battle. 
So you can drive down the road with everything falling apart, nothing's working well, and all you have to do is hum. And, and it does mention one article that I, I did find, I don't even remember where I found it, but the guy says, even if you're a rotten singer, you don't like music, it still works. Because you're, you're creating this vibration that God knows, God knows it's you. We're all unique. There's nobody else like any of us in this room. Um, Holly, you're completely unique. <laughs> so are you, Lonnie. <laughs> so we are completely unique. And God's given us this extra, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like opening the box of cereal that you open up every day, but you find a prize. <laughs> so that's how I felt when I read this. Um, very pleasing. And uh, just the fact that we do vibrate is something we need to remember because that's instant communication with our creator. Um, lastly, we talked about music. And, you know, I haven't. I'm not happy with Christian, contemporary Christian music very much. And by the way, neither is John that we were talking about. But it's just so canned and, you know, couldn't we do better? And I do agree with John that if God's given us all these talents and we're using them for God, then why should we have to follow some religious almost expectation of how it's supposed to come out? And, you know, I'm talking to God about it. And he said, well, what is your issue? I'm not telling you anything. We're creating together. So just do whatever you feel, and I'll let you know if it's no good. <laughs> so um, I had these last little things. I didn't put them down. God, as, as, as we go out of this, God is after our hearts with a direct connection from his spirit to yours. That's what I'm talking about with the humming, the singing, and what happens oftentimes in the throne room. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I got that mic. And um, music, as I relayed this with my conversation, uh, that I didn't th really think about. I mean, you know, I performed for thousands of people in my life. And, you know, you start getting, yeah, so what, you know. <laughs> Just another gig. But uh, music has the profound ability to reach past our limited understanding and help our hearts connect with he who is limitless and eternal. It's a pretty big responsibility for worship leaders, pretty big responsibility for whoever's doing music. And when you think about just the fact that you're putting the notes together, you think about Josh had the singers lead. Um, you think about the vibration, it gives me a whole new, fresh approach to worship, fresh approach to music. And all I can say is, because I'm done, is sing your love, sing your love, sing your love. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, 
Learn about our speakers and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.